Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Speaking of which, it's nice to be here, Raj. I haven't seen you since we tried to burn down the ROTC building <laughs> back in 1972. I blanch every time I hear that voice because it was mine, and that was me 47 years ago. Now, for those of you who are not blessed with a broadcast career, there is probably little evidence of what kind of a kid you were back then. Now back to the present with Boomers and Senior Citizen Centers. We've had a move several times in the last few years. Yep, this senior center in a small town had to move several times for several different reasons. We'll hear about that. And Medicare enrollment has begun. Joe Graskowitz recommends that you look at your options for Medicare A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, because there are over 20 drug plan options this year. And Liz Berrien will talk about passwords uh, to we password-averse seniors. Kendall Boyson of Encouragementology compares herself to a chocolate chip cookie. I'm a peanut butter cookie. And Bob and Marsha will exercise our brains when we visit the off-ramp. And who surprisingly has racked up considerable student debt? Yep, we boomers. We'll hear that next on the news. Boomer News, I'm Robert Wickman. As we reported a year ago, many baby boomers are retiring to the streets. A series of recessions, high housing costs, and a shortage of affordable housing has resulted in older adults becoming the fastest growing segment of America's homeless population. This from a report in the Wall Street Journal based on data from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Dr. Margot Kuschel, a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, has seen an escalating rate of homelessness among older Americans. In a 2020 journal article for the American Society on Aging, Kuschel wrote that of all the homeless single adults in the early 1990s, 11% were aged 50 and older. By 2003, she says, that percentage grew to 37%. Now, the over 50 Democratic represents a half of the homeless single adults in the U.S. with no sign of their numbers slowing, leaving baby boomers, those aged 57 to 75, particularly vulnerable. Elderly homelessness has been rare within the contemporary homeless problem. We've always had very few people over 60 who've been homeless historically. This uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, and they told uh, PBS NewsHour that. But in recent years, they say that has changed. Older Americans are now arguably the fastest rising group. And this is why. After living through multiple recessions, leaving some seniors with little savings, aging boomers are now also dealing with insufficient affordable housing. Low-cost assisted living centers are extremely limited, with labor shortages, inflation, and reduced funding putting facilities at risk of closing. And even rent is becoming increasingly out of reach in certain areas, like Massachusetts, New York, and Florida. This from babyboomers.com, and this has something to do with boomer homelessness. Federal student loan debt has grown enormously in the United States. We've all heard about that. But as of March 2023, there's approximately $1.57 trillion collectively owed by around 44 million Americans. This figure continued to increase even during the global COVID-19 pandemic. 
What's more shocking is that baby boomers owed an average of $75,000 in student loan debt. They're currently the top borrowers, with a rise of 33% in student loans in 2020. If you or your loved ones are one of those baby boomers, here are some ways to tackle student loans. First, don't take it for granted. Borrowers of any age group, not only boomers, often get overwhelmed by their student loan debt. Many feel disconcerted monitoring it, so they end up ignoring it. Others don't even know how much they own, and it's accruing interest as they don't know what they're doing. However, knowing your specific liabilities and current finances is the first step to conquering debt. It doesn't only help you with a focused debt payoff plan, but also it will find a suitable student loan interest deduction in the future. Start by making a detailed list of each loan, including its balances, interest rates, and repayment terms. From there, make a plan and strategy to aggressively confront your debt. Review education tax credits and deductions. And as mentioned earlier, knowing the scope of your debt helps you to get a student loan interest reduction. So look into that if you have a student loan. Recently, I visited a senior center in a small rural community in the Midwest. My cell phone directions took me to the correct street, but the wrong address. That's because the senior center was at a one time located there, then it moved, and then it moved again. Well, I talked with Judy's shoemaker of the Anna Senior Center. Judy, from what I hear, you seem to have a floating senior citizen center here in Anna. Yes, that's true. It's, we've, we've had to move several times in the last few years. And why have you had to move? Well, uh, one building that had been the original needed work and that was sold and then they moved to one building that didn't have a kitchen or anything and it wasn't really a good place for the seniors, so they moved to another place. Then there was a problem with water there and they then they moved us to uh, Goddard's restaurant and that worked until new owner and then he didn't decided we were in the way there at lunchtime, so we had to move again. And what's ironic about it is that the baby boomers are aging, the Generation X is aging, and you're getting more and more senior citizens, yet you're having problems feeding them. Yes. Uh, you know, the ones that come, that's great, and then we've got the home delivery, but uh, we do have to have the food brought over here from West Vienna. Uh, we can't cook here and, and that kind of thing. It's Actually, it's not the ch church's fault we can't cook here. It's because we don't have a cook here. <laughs> okay, so what options do you see? And you're on one of the boards, correct? Yes, that's right. I'm on the Southern Pride board for the each of the sites have like three people on a board on, that represents the counties. What are the options that you see? Is there a solution to this problem? Well, the solution would be if if we could get a grant or somebody that owned a building that was in fairly good shape that would have some parking area and even if it didn't have a full kitchen that could be added to and, and those kind of things put in, uh, you know, so we had an, a building of our own that could be used for all kinds of activities for seniors. Do you see any possibility of this in the near future? Not really. I'm I'm you know, um, we, we keep hoping, but it doesn't seem to be like there, that there's funding anywhere that to, to take care of that. From the way you described it before we started the interview, there's funding, but it's scattered around and politics is involved. Yeah, you know, local of what, what somebody thinks is important and somebody else thinks is not quite as important. 
Yeah, you know that kind of politics. You know. You have any further thoughts? Um, just be nice if our county and our city, you know, would look at other uh, sites in other counties around us because most of the counties around us do have their own site. And it'd be nice if we could have a, you know, we're we're as big as a lot of the other counties. So. That was Judy Shoemaker of the Anna Senior Center located in Union County, Illinois, a few miles south of the Mississippi River. A researcher at Southern Illinois University Carbondale is trying to find ways to better understand and control inflammation. Chilman Bay, assistant professor in the School of Electrical, Computer, and Biomedical Engineering, recently received a $200,000 grant from the National Science Foundation to look into protein that translate mechanical signals into biochemical responses in the body. Bay says, we are trying to reveal the intricate mechanisms that control and regulate inflammation. We aim to provide valuable insights. Now, inflammation is a natural response to injury, stress, and illness, and can play a vital role in healing and recovery. But it also can lead to discomfort through swelling and fever. And too much inflammation can lead to serious and chronic illness, impacting even nervous system senses such as uh, your hearing and uh, your touch. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. A few minutes ago, we talked about the Anna Senior Center changing locations during the past few years. While there, I got a chance to eat lunch with Kendall Boyson of Encouragementology. And though Kendall is technically too young to eat at the center, the management graciously allowed her a meal. Kendall and I spent a good half hour talking in the center's parking lot. And since it was just after lunch, uh, the, uh, the talk moved to cookies. So I was actually on a girl's trip with um, several of my friends, and we were out um, in mixed company, men and women, and I was telling a story. I'm a big talker. I've talked my whole life. I'm known for that. So I was rattling on about a story, and a lady in the group must have not appreciated my rambling, and she said to me, do you ever shut up? And I was kind of blown away at the time. And I thought, hmm. And then I just went on and said, no, you know, I don't, I don't shut up. And I just kept talking and talking. So the next morning with my girlfriends, I asked one of the ladies who actually is a social worker. So I always talk to her about things of that nature. And I said, what was up with Edie last night? Why did she say that to me? And she said very seriously, well, Kendall, you're like an oatmeal raisin cookie. Some people like oatmeal raisin and some people don't. And I said, really? I thought I was chocolate chip. <laughs> and I really did. I really thought I was like a chocolate chip cookie, which is, you know, the universal, wonderful American cookie that everybody loves, right? Nobody doesn't like chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so I kept thinking, um, I'm going to use that to my advantage. And as I started thinking about it with all the work that I do in public speaking and coaching, I am embracing the chocolate chip. So I do a segment about the confidence of a chocolate chip cookie. And that means to just go into any situation with the confidence that you're going to be well received, you're going to be respected, people are going to be interested in what you have to say. And if you adopt that philosophy, it just gives you so much confidence when you go into any situation. 
what happens if you have second thoughts about everything? There are some people who constantly question their ability. How do they handle that? How do they go from being a um, oatmeal cookie to a chocolate chip cookie? Well, it's all just in the way that you perceive it. So yes, you might be more introverted. You might have issues connecting with people. But if you start telling yourself, no, I am a confident chocolate chip, it's gonna give you more confidence to try to address it that way. If you tell yourself, I'm introverted, I'm shy, nobody wants to hear from me, you're gonna start believing what you're telling yourself. So it's more about that self-talk mantra that I am confident, I can do this. But one of the things I also practice with other people is after I tell them my chocolate chip story, I ask them to identify with what cookie they identify with and why. And I've heard over the years, I've heard all kinds of stuff. I identify with a um, peanut butter cookie. Okay, but you have to tell me why. I like peanut butter. Okay, well somebody might say, see, I'm deceiving. I'm healthy, yet I'm still sweet, <laughs> right? You could say that about peanut butter because it's packed with protein. But I did have a guy say, well, I was gonna say a burnt cookie because sometimes I'm my own worst critic, but actually I might identify with, he told me a different cookie. So what type of cookie are you? But first, back to the studio as Kendall talks about organizing. No, not your home or your car, but your mind. Hi, Robert. On this show, we are attempting to clear out the clutter, find a place for the keep, and formulate a productive to-do as we work on organizing our thoughts, coming to terms, letting go, and making a plan. Do you find it difficult to concentrate on what truly matters when you're overwhelmed with all the extra thoughts that flood your mind? How do you make space to focus? Most of the time, we just move mental clutter from one corner to the next, neatly stack what we plan on getting to eventually, or cram another brain drawer with miscellaneous ideas we hope to sort out at some point. If any of this sounds familiar, keep listening. Don't put off today what you think you'll get to tomorrow. So raise your hand if you're carrying around a lot of useless information that you may or may never need to recall. Now, depending on where you are in your life, evaluate your brain's hard drive to determine the bandwidth you're working with. It may be time to do a data dump and reorganize your thoughts to make room for something new. It's no secret that eventually you'll run out of space. Let's take some time to strategize a better way to organize your thoughts, making the commitment to work through some unresolved issues and let go of harmful baggage. The baggage we've been dragging around decade after decade. Deal? When you think of organizing your mind, you can think about organizing your closet. I think we've all had to do that a time or two. You get too much stuff in there, it's spilling out. It's out of season, it doesn't fit any longer, and you need to get in there and you need to clear it out. Why? Well, so that it looks orderly, but also so you can make room for more. So maybe it doesn't fit you any longer because you've grown. And it's not, uh, since we're talking about the brain, maybe it's not just the size of your physical being, but of your mental being. You have grown, therefore, Old ideas no longer fit. Maybe it's out of style. Think about that. You are evolving. You're changing. 
what you respond to and what you believe in may also change. So you have to leave room for that. How has your lifestyle or ideas changed? You might need to make room for a new style, a new idea, someone else's opinion, maybe not just your own. We adopted this uh, kind of an interesting way of looking at things when we downsized. We created a new kitchen and we decided this time, instead of just moving everything in its entirety back into the kitchen, how could we change the way we look at stuff? So we came up with this idea of 98% and 2%. So 98% is the stuff that you use all the time. And the 2% is the stuff we end up carrying around for that someday. Someday we might need this. Someday I might have a dinner party with 12. But every other day, 98% of the time, it's just the two of us. So we, a lot of times, can keep a lot of extra stuff just in case. And we can do that in our brains as well. We can carry ideas around. Maybe they were ideas that came to us from our uh, parents as we were growing up. Maybe it's their ideas and their opinions that they pass down to us, not unlike the china that's up in the attic right now. All of the extra things that you carry around. How can you move those aside? Maybe test them. Is this belief system still in alignment with my core values? If we don't ever push back and test our theories, we're never going to know. Now, you've heard of a professional organizer, someone that comes in, they know how to put things into the right spots and help you evaluate what you have and what you can get rid of. You can do this as well with what you store in your brain. And that can be with a trusted friend, a family member, or a professional. Someone can help you sort through your thoughts, look at them, help you create priorities, help you let some things go and make a plan. Be careful of keeping all your thoughts in your head. So many times we tend to sit with our thoughts. We hold on to them. We might be doing this because we feel like no one else cares, or everyone is so busy, or I don't want to be a complainer, or I don't want someone to see me that vulnerable. But at any rate, we sit with those thoughts. And when we do that, we're protecting them and we're giving them more power. Many, many times, and there's tons of studies that show that we don't remember details accurately. So when we're left to our own devices of replaying these thoughts, maybe unchallenged or unspoken, we can create these bigger and more grandiose ideas in our head. They can be inaccurate. When we think back, we might be giving more power to the negative part of the memory versus the positive part of the memory. We might be worried of judgment. So Instead, we keep the thoughts in our head and we judge ourselves even more harshly. We might feel shameful, guilty, or regretful, but sitting with those ideas will just exacerbate them. Instead, think about connecting with a trusted friend or a professional, someone that is willing to open up and just listen. Listen without judgment. But at the same time, we need to be able to embrace and accept feedback. Sometimes this could come from a friend that maybe challenges the way we're thinking about ourselves. They might see us a totally different way and we might be quick to say, no, that's not me. 
and be more self-deprecating versus if they say, no, these are your great qualities, we need to be open to hearing that. That's typically an unbiased opinion about yourself and you should embrace that. From a professional, we need to embrace maybe some different thoughts and challenges that we need to take on to dig even deeper. Sometimes our homework might be instead of avoiding a situation, digging a little deeper into it, opening that situation up, talking to someone else that might have been involved to get their opinion of what transpired. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, invite in a trusted friend or professional to help you evaluate your thoughts. Instead of living with guilt, shame, and overwhelm, Push back and be willing to take responsibility where you can and let go of what is no longer serving you. I know you can do it. Thanks, Kendall. And nice having lunch at the Anna Senior Center with you earlier this week. We go on. Recently, I had this experience on a computer. I tried to access a password on my web browser, and the browser wanted to know the big password so I could get into all the other passwords, but... I forgot the big password. That's why Elizabeth Hartman, who is known as Lizbrarian in a small 22,000 population Midwestern town, gives us some help. Okay, as Lizbrarian, what typical problems have you seen with boomers coming in trying to use computers? I feel like a lot of it deals with login problems, actually. Uh, that is something that has really changed over the past several years. Um, there is multi-factor authentication, or sometimes you'll see instead of MFA, you'll see 2FA, which would be just two-factor authentication. And the problem is that those sorts of systems to the companies, uh, implemented to try to help um, their customers have more secure accounts, right? But they were implemented really without requiring people to have them set up properly. So you will end up with a lot of people who aren't able to get into their email, aren't able to get into their Facebook, or any other sort of social media platform or communications platform. Um, so I deal a lot with trying to get people set up so that they're able to just be logged into their device and not have to deal with that every single time they want to send just one single email. What has happened, in my view, is like Facebook was much simpler in 2010 than it is now. Oh, very much so. Yeah, now it is extremely complicated, and it doesn't seem to me to be user-friendly. It absolutely isn't, and especially from the uh, kind of back-end side. Say, if you're using Facebook or other social media to try and market events. What I've seen is, for instance, say in broadcasting, uh, you have equipment set up, and it was set up 
for a definite reason, every switch, every gauge, same thing in aviation when I used to fly. Now you've got a bunch of things on it, a bunch of options, most of which you don't need for anything. That is very true. And I feel like kind of a corollary of that is every single thing you do these days requires an account. And that just means that's more accounts for you to get locked out of. And so if there is one little piece of advice that I could give for people who are having issues with always having to log in to their accounts again and again, if you can, you might want to try just using your email account, probably your Google, your Gmail for any account that you can. So if you're going in to log into some platform, right, if you look at what it's asking you, you'll see that in many situations, there are multiple ways you can log in. It'll say, you know, just create an account or log in with Google, log in with Apple ID, log in with Yahoo, et cetera, et cetera. And the more accounts that you're able to just kind of group under your Gmail, that's gonna be less accounts for you to forget passwords for, lose access to, uh, create another account because you can't get into your original account and then you end up doing that five times and of course you're not going to remember your password for any of those. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't, I, get, I forget my passwords all the time. And you're in your early 30s. I, yes, yes. Um, so for anybody really, it, it, it is a hassle if you don't have some sort of system worked out for yourself. Um, it's especially hard when you have people who have lost their phones because that means that one of the options for your multi-factor authentication, you know, when the system is trying to make sure that it's you, um, is not available. That happened to me just recently. Mm -hmm. I forget what account I was trying to get into. And uh, it, it, it gave me the wrong telephone number of a telephone I didn't have for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Now, I found a workaround, but that's because I'm familiar with computers. I think somebody who just uses computers occasionally would get very frustrated. Yes, I mean, I get frustrated and I'm using computers all the time. Elizabeth Hartman, or Liz Brarian, is the Programming and Outreach Librarian of the Carbondale, Illinois Public Library, which is located 50 miles north of where the Ohio and Mississippi rivers converge. And, oh, I just spotted this on the OK Boomer bulletin board. I know, I'm a little aggressive tearing things down. Uh, let's, uh, oh, this is about coffee. Coffee, okay, now that's, let, let's get up. Oh, it hurts. Go to the coffee pot. Um, a recent study published in the Journal of the American Medical Directors Association reveals that adults with a higher intake of caffeinated drinks were less frail and had significantly better physical function in later life. Now, studies show that consumption of caffeinated drinks at midlife may be associated with a reduced likelihood of physical frailty in later life. The study leader said that. Researchers surveyed data from 12,000 participants between ages 45 and 74 over the course of um, 20 years, taking note of diet, medical history, socio-demographic characteristics, height, weight, energy levels, physical activities, and sleep duration. Oh, we're here. Let's get the coffee going.
According to the study and methodology, physical frailty was determined by at least two out of the four following traits. Exhaustion, weight loss of 10% or more, uh, follow-ups, poor balance, and weak hand grip. Based on their findings, researchers were able to determine that drinking coffee, black tea, or green tea at midlife was, quote, independently associated, unquote, with a largely reduced risk of physical frailty in later life. Okay, let's have a sip of the coffee. Mmm, it's delicious. I'll tell you, I, I think that coffee has kept me young for point. I guess drinking coffee doesn't help with the, with the fumbles. with Kerry. We go now to Maidenhead, England. Harley and Lola tied the knot after knowing each other for only six months. Harley donned a top hat for the occasion, a breakaway tuxedo and a boutonniere and not much else. And Lola wore a veil. That's it, just a veil. The happy couple was married a few weeks ago by Royal Borough Deputy Mayor Councilman Jenner. I never thought my first official engagement would be quite like this. At the appropriate moment, Jenner intoned, Bark now, or forever hold your peace. There were no objections, so he gave permission to lick the bride. And he did. And why not? Because Harley and Lola are dogs. It was standing room only at the ceremony located at the Summer Lees Veterinary Hospital. And of course, the charity event was the highlight of family day at the hospital. We go on. An elderly British couple got quite a surprise from cops when investigators told them the shrub they carefully tended in their garden was actually marijuana. Uh, what? <laughs> After confiscating the cannabis, Bedfordshire police took to Twitter to post a picture of the plant commenting, biggest cannabis plant we had ever seen. A Welshman thought he'd made a clean getaway after not paying for a hotel room back in June. However, cops analysed his toothbrush and his DNA, and his real ID popped up in a police database, leading investigators right to him. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they analyse DNA because he didn't pay a hotel bill? I don't understand. Well, it, you know, you're, we're in England. I, I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it. You're British. <laughs> I left it because, you know, they're a little crazy. As it has, it's clearly evident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're bringing it over here. <laughs> uh, have that with your cup of tea. And your cup of joe. Back to action. This is Robert Rickman on OK Boomer. OK Boomer. I know, I just said that, kid. Just stand over there. Anyway, um, it's Medicare time, and... Um, 
there's a lot of boomers I've talked to who have a lot of frustration with Medicare. Um, the reason is there's so many programs, even in this rural area that I live, there were 12 such programs that would have helped me. Jill Graskwitz is the uh, manager of Club 60, the senior center in Marion, and she has been looking at Medicare, and she has this to say. Well, Robert, it's that time of year. It is the Medicare Open Enrollment Plan. These are the stages where you're going to go over all of your Part A, Part B, Part D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, because there are over 20 drug plan options this year, um, probably even closer to oh, almost a 30 mark. Um, so if you haven't received your annual notice of change in the mail, um, they were sent out late this year, so be watching if you haven't gotten it. This will tell you your changes in your drug plan, your premiums, and your copays. Now, here's where it gets a little bad. A lot of premiums have doubled. And this, my friends, is why you need to look at this each and every year with a qualified SHIP counselor. Or if you don't want to go to a SHIP counselor, you can always go to the local person that always uh, sells you your plan. However, I suggest, um, because not all places are equal, they're not all created equal, like uh, let's take a gallon of milk. A gallon of milk is going to be a different price at uh, the gas station. It's going to be a different price at the big box store. It's going to be a different price at your mom and pop shop on the corner. It's going to be a different price if you go to a wholesale club. So it's good to maybe possibly make several different counseling appointments and talk about your specific plans and what the changes are going to mean for you from each of those places. So that way you can get the most educated approach to choosing your plan. Now, when you go to these people, you want to make sure that you're taking a list of your medications with the dosages and when and how often you take this along with your preferred pharmacy, because the pharmacies are also like the milk comparison. Pharmacies are, are not all created equal. Uh, even in my case, I'm not on Medicare yet, but I do uh, take Euloric, which is um, for high uric acid. And at my local pharmacy, because I choose to go somewhere where um, everyone knows my name, kind of like Cheers, <laughs> um, it was going to be $50 for one month's worth of, uh, of, of prescription there. However at um, one of the local larger grocery stores on their plan, it was only going to cost me $4. So obviously, I'm going to get all of my drugs filled at my local pharmacy that I choose to go to. But for this particular prescription, I will go out of my way. Um, I pass the grocery store anyways, and I'm just going to go in there and pick up my monthly um, uric acid pill there 
so I can keep my levels at a nice safe level, but do it for an affordable rate. Now, what also is going on with the drug plan changes in uh, this year's Medicare, there's going to also be a $35 monthly cap on insulin. So make sure your plan covers this if you are diabetic. People on high dollar drugs, make sure you see your insurance provider every single year to review. The coverage gap and catastrophe coverage will help you with these prices. That just means the amount of money that you are going to pay out of pocket is going to have a cap on it. The federal government is now in negotiations um, with pricings on drugs. However, this won't take effect until 2026. So this is a good thing, um, but, you know, it takes time. So expect in 2026 for us to have, you know, some, some better um, coverage on some more of the expensive drugs. And now open enrollment for Medicare starts here in October. However, it ends on December 7th. This does not mean you can procrastinate. The sooner you get in and get an appointment with somebody, the better off you're going to be. You do not want to call on December 5th or December 6th or even December 7th and say, hey, I really, I forgot to do this and I need to look at my plan. You're going to be SOL and this is not a place you want to be in these changing times right now because money is tight and we have to save it wherever we can and drug prices just keep going higher and higher. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it is not going to get better anytime soon. So take this initiative right now, today. Promise me that you will call not one, not two, but maybe three different Medicare providers that you are comfortable with in your area to set up a time, an appointment to discuss your individual particular medical situation so that way you can get the best rate. Consider it kind of like car insurance. You're not just going to go with the first one you get. You're going to call around and see what's the best option. When there's so many different plans like this, I mean, between 20 and 30 different plans, there are going to be so many things to take into consideration. And every person has an individual situation specific to them. I also want to talk to you a little bit about a um, program that's not necessarily new, but it is new to me that I just found out about it. And I don't find it widely offered or advertised. And it is called Medicare Part D Extra Help Program. The Extra Help Program helps people with limited income and resources lower or cut Part D costs. Medicare Part D provides drug coverage. The Extra Help Program helps cut with the costs of your prescription drugs like deductibles and co-pays. You can apply for the Extra Help anytime before or after you enroll in Part D. 
Now, how do you do this? So there is a website um, through ssa.gov. And if you just Google um, Medicare Part D extra help, just make sure that you click on the ssa.gov website. So that makes sure you know you are on a uh, verified Social Security Administration government website. And they will tell you the documents um, that will help you prepare. So you want to gather these documents before you make this phone call to see if you're eligible. Your bank statements and tax returns, your individual IRA accounts, your 401k account balances and statements for pensions, veteran benefits, annuities, railroad retirement, board benefits, etc. So for support completing this task, um, you can call this number. Get your pens handy or be sure to go back and replay this. 1-800-772-1213. And this is available in most U.S. time zones, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. in not only English, but other languages. And just remember that it is based upon your income. However, they keep the income uh, requirements and guidelines um, kind of hidden. So I don't know those. And I wasn't able to find out from any Medicare uh, counselor or any website. Again, I think it's probably based on everyone's individual situation. But this is another program that is offered by the government that you should probably look into to see if you're qualified for some extra help. So please take this time, do your due diligence, and save yourself some money. In the meantime, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Jill Graskowitz is a weekly contributor to OK Boomer. Jill directs Club 60, the Marion Senior Center, and was once a nursing home administrator. So she knows boomers. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, a blast from the past. He is rather straight-laced and conventional in every way but one. Roger Davis and I were radio and TV students at a large Midwestern university during the 1970s. Roger was a disc jockey, a music director, and a program director at several Midwest rock stations. And he was good at it. But... Roger's genius did not lay in what went on the air, but rather what went on tape. Roger recorded programs on audio tape and distributed these programs to broadcasters around the country. And he borrowed the persona from that 1960s-era cartoon character, Roger Ramjet. Why? Because in high school, Roger Davis resembled Roger Ramjet, of course. The Jet, as Roger called himself, worked on the student top 40 campus station WIDB or Whidbey and public radio station WSIU or WishU, both on the campus of Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, one of the top four radio and TV schools in the country during the 70s. The Jet named his tape casting station WRRP, which stood for Roger Ramjet Productions, and it originated tapes to fellow radio and TV students from whatever city he happened to be working. The following heavily edited interview was recorded in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in 1976. 
Roger was interviewing a smart-ass 23-year-old broadcaster. <laughs> and the emphasis is on smart-ass. Now, in its fifth year, guest of Ramjet. RRP now proudly presents the tape casting industry's longest-running interview show with Roger Ramjet. Well, thank you very much, and welcome once again to another edition of Guest of Ramjet from our newly remodeled studios here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. This being the second edition of the program since uh, we moved to Cedar Rapids. And uh, we are happy today to welcome as our guest on the program, Bob Rickman. And uh, Bob is an old... uh, comrade of mine from accomplice might be a better word an old accomplice of mine from uh, southern illinois university hello bob how's it going i was uh, it's nice to be here raj i haven't seen you since we tried to burn down the rotc <laughs> building back in 1972 now that's not true we really didn't do it we didn't even have an rtc building did we at that campus well that's because it was burned down oh was that what it was no anyway uh, we uh we shared uh uh, many uh, humorous moments at uh, Wizu Radio TV and Whidbey Radio. Now, what do we we used to call you? The Phantom Jock. Phantom Jock, it. because no one knew when I was going to be on the air. That's right. He just worked. Uh, he just worked whenever somebody else didn't, kind of thing. And so you never knew when Rickman was going to be on the air. You are, I understand, the more or less originator, or at least. You were the uh, person on the air at the time when the uh, when the phrase uh, "This is Wizu Carbondale" was coined. Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, oh, that uh, that was way back. That was back in the early 1970s when radio yes. was young. Radio was young, and <laughs> so were we. <laughs> that's the way it is. And when we had considerably more money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was on the board at WSIU Radio. I even forget the uh, frequency. Anyway, uh, I was reading. Uh, we have this music sheet which you have to, you had to pay close attention to, and uh, I uh, was wearing my spectacles rather than contact lenses, so I couldn't see very well. And I was squinting at this sheet, and it looked like Mrs. Pinafore by Gilbert and Sullivan. So that's what I said. And that now next is Mrs. Pinafore by Gilbert and Sullivan. And I got a call from station manager, Charlie Lynch. You probably remember him. He says, any Gilbert and Sullivan fan would string you up or some such thing. He says, it's HMS, like Her Majesty's ship. I said, okay, I'm sorry. I made the mistake. And then when the, uh, when the song dumped out, I said, and that is Her Majesty's ship, Pinafore. And he called up again. And he says, and the next time you do that, you deviate from that record sheet, you're going to be off. All right. Well, one of the record librarians happened to be in the studio hearing all this, at least my side of the conversation, and he knew that whenever that telephone rang in the control room, I was normally in trouble, <laughs> as was my <laughs> reputation. <laughs> so the next week, he uh, typed everything up and phoneticized it the way it was supposed to be, including WSIU, and instead of phoneticizing it Carbondale, he phoneticized it Carbondela. Well, being the precocious person I am, I took it at face value, and I did an SID the next week. This is WSIU, Carbondola. Now, I didn't even have time to have time to key out the mic, and the damn <laughs> telephone was ringing. And it was, guess who? Right. Charles T. Lynch. Get your ass up here! Yeah. Well, I was on the carpet, and he says, 
What are you trying to do, ruin us? I said, well, with the format we have, you know, <laughs> I don't think that's possible. You know, two uh, listeners, the board man, and the guy working in the newsroom. Yeah. So he says, well, you're off. The guy in the newsroom never listened, by the way. At least I never did when I was in the newsroom. So, you know, that's why, why you're where you are now. I see. Okay. Okay. So he, he suspended me. I said, well, I, I did exactly as you said last week. And I, uh, I uh, phoneticized and pronounced it the way it was on the music sheet. He said, you did not. He said, I did too. Let's get the music sheet. There it was on the music sheet, WSIU Carbondola. <laughs> so the music, the guy who uh, typed up the music sheet, he was the one who was suspended. And that's the story of Carbondola. I understand they were going to name a park in Carbondale, Carbondola, but something happened. Yes, well, <laughs> what can I say? Uh, no great loss. And, of course, that's where many of you uh, listening on the RRP earlier heard the phrase uh, uh, Carbondole. That's right. So uh, now you all know where it originated from. That's right, and uh, that's about the only the thing original I've done. for it, yes. The only thing original I've done in the last six years. Listening to myself 47 years ago is like listening to someone I once knew very well, but in the intervening years lost touch with him. So think about your past, how much different you were then compared to now. And we'll have part two of my interview with Roger Ramjet next time. I'm saying my interview, it was this kid's interview in his 20s, 47 years ago. And now think fast. Try to answer the question in your mind before the spoiler comes on. Bob and Marsha Smith with the off-ramp next. Okay, Marsha, let me ask you this question. In the Andes, how was time often measured? They didn't have clocks. How did they Where? often measure time? In, in the, the Andes. In the Andes. The Andes how Mountains. Was, how was time measured? South America. Well, I would think by the sun or the moon or some kind of things, but you tell me, Bob. Depends on how long it takes to chew a quid of cocoa leaf. Oh, well, that was my next response. So sometimes the destination was said to be so many cigarettes away. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? That is funny. I like that. Oh, and what use do Eskimos have for refrigerators? (laughs) Keep their snow in? I don't know. They keep their food from freezing using refrigerators. Oh, they keep it from freezing. <laughs> Is that, that's Isaac Asimov's book of facts. That's it sounds funny. almost inappropriate today to talk about that yeah. that way, but I thought that was fun. That is. Okay, what island has changed ownership more than 700 times? An island that's yes. changed ownership? Yes. More than 700 times. 700 times? <laughs> How many years does that take? Uh, a lot. So this goes back centuries. Yes. Okay. What part of the world is this in? Or can you give me some choices? Sure. It's between France and northeastern Spain and southwestern France. That'll give you a complete understanding. Oh, that helps me so much. Come on. What's the island? Okay. Gibraltar. No. What island is it? Pheasant Island. Pheasant Island. Yep. It's for the birds. Okay. (laughs) It's between France and Spain. There are no permanent residents, Bob. And it's only two acres, and Hmm. visitors are banned. Why? 
except for twice a year, government representatives from each country come together to transfer ownership. Oh, twice that's a why year. it's 700 times. Yeah. After the 30-year war ended in 1648, France and Spain signed the Treaty of the Pyrenees and made sure it would alternate ownership in perpetuity to demonstrate equality that's between the two nations. very odd, isn't it? Yeah. Buddy. So it flips back and forth between France and Spain yeah, every twice year? A, twice, twice a year? Twice a year. Yeah, that's nuts. I don't know why. These people need a life. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let me ask you this question, Marcia. This goes back to the 1920s, okay? Okay. What famous woman tried to make it look as though her husband had murdered her and set the whole country off on a wild goose chase? Is she an actress or a. She was an author. She was an author the most famous crime writer in well, history. Well, Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Did you know about this incident? No, I didn't. Tell me. She tried to construct the perfect crime that would have her husband tried, convicted, and executed. Her husband, the colonel, had a mistress he planned to marry. Ah. And she lured him away from an engagement party he was throwing for his girlfriend ah. by telephoning and threatening to make a scene. Ah. So he came home to find nobody was there. Later, police recovered a car at the bottom of a chalk pit. It had been pushed in. The ignition key was off, and a fur coat was inside, and so was her driver's license. Now, police knew of the colonel's marital situation and his mistress, and they forbade him to leave the area. And then 2,000 people, plus the Army and the Navy, searched a 40-square-mile area of England looking for the body with tracking dogs and planes. A water hole was even dragged. Oh, my God. Finally, 11 days later, his wife was found at a hotel, (laughs) a very famous spa, where she was enjoying herself, playing billiards and uh, so forth. She had registered in the name of his mistress, last name. Hell hath no fury, Bob. Yes. Now, the official story came out she had amnesia. She didn't know what she was doing. Oh, that's funny. And then some people think she actually did have a nervous breakdown, but she never, ever fully addressed it in her biography. It's always been a matter of, did she intentionally do this or not? But it looked as though she was the original Gone Girl. Wow. Jeez, that's a cranky girl. Agatha Christie, yeah. Her own mystery. (laughs) No, I never heard that story. Yeah, how about that? Well, speaking of writing, the very first pencils arrived around the dawn of the 17th century. That's even before you were born. Thanks a lot. After graphite was discovered. But the eraser didn't show up until the 1770s, at the tail end of the Enlightenment. So my question for you, monsieur, what did they use for erasing pencil marks for 170 years? Did they use them at all? Did they just cross things out? No. They They had something they used. It would get rid of the graphite on the page. Right. Did they use, like, leaves? They rubbed leaves on it? No. They rubbed, I don't know, what? Bread. Bread? Look no further than bread on your table. Back in the day, artists, scientists, government officials, and anyone else prone to making mistakes (laughs) would wad up a small piece of bread and moisten it ever so slightly, and the resulting ball of dough erased pencil marks on paper. Wow. Almost as well as erasers did in the years to come. Huh. And the research came out because of rubber, things like rubber. Yeah, yeah. But there were 170 years when there weren't erasers while they used bread, damp bread. To get rid of mistakes. Yeah. You used bread. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I I never knew about that. Okay, Marcia, you've heard people say, I'm going to read them the Riot Act. Uh Uh-huh. What What is is the Riot Act? That's my question. Well, I don't know. 
there actually was a riot act. It was a British law passed in 1714 to prevent riots. <laughs> and it went to effect only when it was read aloud by an official. So an official had to read the riot act. If too many people were gathering and looking troublesome, an officer would let them know that if they didn't disperse, he would read them the riot act. <laughs> really? And then they would face punishment. Okay. Now another question I have, another expression, hands down. Somebody says he won hands down. What uh-huh. does that usually mean? It means without dispute. Without effort, hands down. Does it? Well, it's obvious. It's easy easy to say that's the answer. Okay, fine. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a certain type of sport. Okay, something with hands down. A sport with animals. Animals. Oh, was it the back in the days of... Uh, You're right, gerbil racing, yes. <laughs> Coliseum days? No, it didn't go back that far. Okay, back. It goes back to horse racing. When if you're ahead of everyone else, you can relax your grip on the reins and let your hands down. So when you win hands down, you win easily. And that's where that expression came from. Huh. Horse racing. All right. Okay. And I think that's all we got today. Back to you, Bob Rickman. For OK Boomer, this is Bob and Marcia Smith. And that wraps it up. Thanks to Bob and Marcia Smith. And a reminder, Bob will have a special report in November about the crime of the 20th century. Also, thanks to Kendall Boyson, Elizabeth Hartman, Jill Graskowitz, Judy Shoemaker, Roger M. Jett, and Janice Paul. OK Boomers, produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois, and is also broadcast on WRFM Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. Also, you can find OK Boomer on Facebook and check us out on robertrickman.net, robertrickmansmallletters.net. And this is Robert Rickman saying, we all have choices.